The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hold up. Let's talk about dating. I feel like dating is such a time suck. Well, Lauren, I haven't done it in a while. Maybe I should get out there and try. Were you ever a dater, though? Give me a little pass. I was a little bit of a dater. Really? Sure. Okay. Well, I feel like now in 2021, it's a time suck. It's Michael. changed a lot since I've been dating. It's changed a lot. There's lots of swiping. There's lots of not getting serious. It's not very efficient when it comes to time. And that is why you guys need Match. This is where you can find people who put actual effort into their dating lives. Imagine that actual effort. And they don't waste any time because they are adults. I don't think you could have joined the site back in the day, Michael. I could have joined. I don't think I would have been welcome on the site back in the day. No. Maybe now. No. No, Michael's not welcome. But I feel like if I was dating right now, this is the app that I would go to if I was dating. And I feel like if you're ready for an adult relationship and you're over the games, I'm sure there's a lot of you listening that are over the games and you're ready for something real, you have to check out this app. It's for people, like I said, who want to put actual effort into dating. There is people on there, you guys, who take care of themselves and they also take care of other things like plants and dogs and cats. It's crazy. They're out there. They're on the Match app. These people on the app have nice sheets on their bed, crisp, nice sheets, and they can make dinner for you. So it's a real win. This is so great for our audience. You can download the Match app today and you can message your top matches for free. Match. Adults date better. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential. Him and her. Aha. Key words in life is creation. Create. I think when you create, you're able to control your narrative, control your your destination. And it's coming from imagination, but it's also coming from a place of respecting yourself because you believe in yourself. So create to me is a big one. But when you start going in, like you said, you go into someone else's environment where they're basically creating your storyline, creating, controlling your edit, which is just crazy. You're basically giving your life away to somebody. And I don't care how much money they're, they're paying you. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Skinny Confidential, him and her show. We have another very compelling episode for you today. Nick Ritchie, many of you guys may know his name from The Dirty. Some of you might like that. Some of you may dislike that. Some of you may be angry. Some of you may be sad, happy. Who knows? We're going to get into it on this episode. This is a wild ride of a story. I love this podcast and doing this podcast because you really get to go deep with people and hear what makes them tick. So reserve some space, keep an open mind and get ready for this one. And some of us may have been featured on the journey, Michael Bostick. Yeah, some of us. And I want to say this too. I personally wanted to interview Nick because I think he's an incredible interviewer and interviewee. I've heard him on all different kinds of podcasts and his voice is really calming. And I think it's really interesting how he founded the gossip website, thedirty.com. 
I would very much recommend everyone to leave their judgment aside and listen to this episode. Well, listen, there's people that are feeling that are going to feel a certain way about Nick, especially if you're familiar of the days in the dirty, but it is undeniable that this is a very wild story. It's a compelling story. There's ups, there's downs, there's highs, there's lows, there's everything you want in a juicy story. And Nick's a really good storyteller and he's got a pretty powerful story to tell. So again, reserve your judgments until at least after you've heard this episode and then feel free to jump right back in on those judgments. But I definitely think this is one worth listening to. So who is Nick Ritchie? He founded the gossip website, thedirty.com in March 2007 as dirtyscottsdale.com while living in Scottsdale, Arizona. He also was married for 11 years to reality TV star Shane Lamas. And we get into that on this episode. Yes, we do. A lot. The, the pair met during vacation to Las Vegas, which we talk about, and they were married on April 18th, 2010 at the Little White Wedding Chapel, eight hours after they first met. Which he talks about on this episode. They have two children and one of them is born via surrogate. We talk about that. Nick Ritchie was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2015. And I just feel like this story goes all over the place. Again, sit back, get your popcorn, grab some tea, maybe a glass of champagne and get ready for a wild ride of a story. And learn how Nick Ritchie actually saved the internet. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. I don't mean to brag, but I've been on the dirty five times. Like actually posted? No, like she's been featured. Featured. No way. Congratulations. I have been featured. I kind of feel like it's a claim to fame. Well, after the first couple of times, it's kind of like people really care about you. I mean, it wasn't like Stacey Cole, who, if you know who I'm talking about. Yes. (laughs) Brock's chick. Yeah. But... I do feel like five times is pretty good. Are you friends with Stacy? No, I oh. just know her. I feel like I know her through through the dirty, the dirty. Yeah, you built the dirty before all of this. We we're just talking about it. Go back to how you decided to start the dirty. Okay, so it's crazy because it wasn't anything. It kind of was like a joke between a couple buddies of mine in Scottsdale and uh, a couple you know, Ben Quayle was out there. He was Dan Quayle's son and we would go drinking and whatever. And I told him like, Hey man, like I want to start this site. Scottsdale is, you know, I called it the Dubai of America. It was like the hidden gem, all these hot chicks, all these 30 K millionaires. So we would always come up with like taglines and his name was Brock Landers. He wanted to go by Brock Landers. My name was Nick Ritchie. Cause I was going off like at that time, I was looking at all the different sites, TMZ and Perez Hilton were really just the only kind of things that were blowing up. So I'm like, okay, well, hey, he stole Paris. Let me do the Nick Nicole Ritchie thing, the Nick Ritchie thing. So I chose Nick Ritchie because, you know, I'm straight and like she's a little bit more, you know, put together. Paris is more party girl. I was more like business. So I thought it was a good yin and yang, even though he wasn't really a fan of, of it because I was kind of stealing his thunder a little bit. But then Brock Landers was in the political sphere and this thing, Ben Quayle, it started blowing up. So he's like, he was out. So when I started this thing in Scottsdale, it was literally like, hey, let's find the cool kids in the town and make my own civilian paparazzi. Because at this time, you have to understand, like camera phones just started. 
What like, year was this exactly? Because I just and the reason I am asking because I w- I was at U of A and I think I remember the dirty coming out like while I was in it was just around like two thousand six. Yeah, two thousand five, two thousand six. Okay, and it only started in Scottsdale and well, we knew about it and and at U of A like we knew like us in Arizona knew about the dirty like right when you launched it. Yeah, so within I would say a year, a year and a half, you know, I was in the the Arizona spotlight, but I, but but no one knew who I was because I never, my identity wasn't out there. I was like Batman. So I would do these interviews. I would have reporters sit outside the room. I would do, you know, the full blacked out face and I would, I would have an English accent. Like I would literally just pretend I was someone else. And the crazy part was, is you would go out in Scottsdale and people would be like, oh, Nick Ritchie's here. And I'd be like sitting in line, like waiting in cover. And like people are pointing up to the, like, bottle service table and be like, dude, that's Nick. Da, da, da. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Let me shake his hand. I'm like shaking some random dude's hands, some douchebag, just getting free bottles and just living it up, banging, whatever. <laughs> so it was so cool to me to see that that side of it because I just, the aspect of, of vanity and fame and, and how bad people wanted it was the fuel of what made the dirty. And for me, I kind of got to play like the Wizard of Oz and I was hiding behind the curtain and I got to pick and choose who I wanted to make famous in their town. And what happened was, you know, a picture would come in, it would get submitted. And if I thought the girl had some sort of potential, hot elbows, good jawline, whatever it was, I would tell people like, hey, you know, she has potential. She's an 8.6353, right? (laughs) Out of 10. So I would take that and take it to another level. And then the fans of the site, which was growing like crazy, they would literally stalk, you know, that person's MySpace because that was what social media was back then. Right. And go out at night and they would take pictures with their cell phones and they would literally feel like they were hanging out with Paris Hilton in their in their town. And that person blew up and that person became famous. So I was like, okay, wow, I can make these like dirty celebrities. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'm originally from Orange County. Let me try Newport. So I did dirtynewport.com as the next site. And that was just on fire. Like I was, you know, there was this girl that was really hot blonde. I called her Canary because she had, you know, a very blonde vibe. Like after the comic book character? No, after the bird. Because she had a look, her nose was a little. (laughs) I went straight to comics. Okay, yeah, yeah. Close, but not. But she had, she was a little beaky. So I called her Canary. (laughs) And then there was a. Krusty, Krusty was a big one out there because she had a Mac force field on. Like literally we people would see her face and there was like an inch of makeup. So we called it a Mac force field because <laughs> the makeup line Mac was big in the day, right? So there was so many different things, different names, but they all played on like what their appearance was. Now, when this thing started going, I'm like, okay, Newport, Chicago, Dallas, like I picked these major markets and it worked everywhere. Within three years, I got to about 150 markets. Then we opened it up to colleges. So by 2007, we had ASU obviously unlock, U of A, all, we, we focused on basically Arizona and did the same model with the cities we did with the colleges. And then, you know, I would say within five years, we were in 350 markets. I asked her to bring me coffee. We can pause for one second. Do you want a cup? I got one for you too. I'm okay. Okay, cool. Thank, Thank you. you. So yeah, so it just, it really took off. What happened was, is I got a submission of the chief of police's daughter, Risque, not wearing any clothes. And I, it's not that we we posted anything, any nudity. We, we would put hearts over private parts. But I'm like, ah, come on. You know, at this point I, I felt really confident about myself. 
So I posted it, put it on the dirty, and next thing you know, like these guys, Sheriff Joe up our pyro who was like oh god yeah yeah he's yeah. cleaning a tent city yeah so he came did he, after did he me actually, he yeah. actually went to tent city yeah he you pulled, with a pink jumpsuit yep See, so i know about these arizona things like so yeah so it was crazy he set me up on a dui and it was just a big deal what yeah like, what do you mean Ta- like talk me through like you're at the club you're at a restaurant drinking it was a tuesday night i was at this place called dirty pretty and it was random like i got a random invite like hey you know come to dirty pretty and some some of the people kind of knew like the some of the club promoters that that i became friends with knew because they i would i would need them for protection like you know they would make sure to hide me or whatever it was so i went to this place you know i had probably like three drinks whatever four drinks but the next thing you know i roll out of this place and five cars five cop cars just pulled me over and i didn't even say anything but like it was in the police report which was crazy like uh, writer for Dirty Scottsdale, and like they just came at me, and it was the it was like a sixteen page DUI police report, which is unheard of. It's usually like a one pager, right? So I try to refuse to take blood, do all these things, whatever, and I don't know how, but they said I was way over the limit, and I I think I obviously I did drink, but I wasn't that crazy. But they made me sound like I was some sort of lunatic, and uh, next thing you know, yeah, they give me the max because Sheriff Joe wanted to prove a point. My mugshot went viral. It was everywhere. This is the guy. This is the creator of the dirty. And I had no choice but to post myself. So I posted my mugshot, made fun of myself saying, yes, it's true. This is me. I thought personally, I thought it was dead man walking. Like, okay, everyone's going to kill me. Like now, you know, I'm here. Just because of all the things you'd shared over the years on the site. At this point. Yeah. Because it was international. Like Australia, Canada, like I, there wasn't like, there wasn't like a place I could go hide, you know? So, and the opposite thing happened, which, which really blew my mind that I became instant celebrity. Like they celebrated you overnight, overnight. It was the weirdest thing. And I, and I didn't know what was like going on other than the fact that all I cared about was how the hell am I going to survive in prison? You know, cause it's not a joke. Like you go to Arizona, they put you in tent city, you're wearing pink underwear and I'm literally I call it La Familia 52 because I made my own gang in this in the tents because I didn't I needed protection. How did you do that? Like just on a micro level, how did you make your own gang in prison? So I was on AZ Central like it was there, there was cameras like there was news cameras outside the gates of the prison like and and they knew who I, like some of the guys knew who I was and they're like, hey, you know, we got you. I'm like, OK, cool. Like dude, I felt like I was in a movie like gangland like it was real and uh yeah, like all these Hispanic guys. I was in the Hispanic crew. I, mean, I wasn't even Hispanic, but whatever. And uh, I was there for, I think, 13 days or 14 days or something like that. So it was scary. And I bunked and you sleep, you're sleeping outside. It's like 120 degrees. What happened when you got out? When I got out, I was really worried that I was going to die because I thought that now that people know who I am, they can find me and look me up, shoot me, stab me, whatever. Because at that point, the dirty was, it was the dirty. It was, you know, it wasn't like positive things about people. And in that time period, you could get away with a lot more than you can today. Like, obviously there's no way anyone could do the dirty. Now you go to jail. Any, anyone who's tried to do it has gone to jail. So like, um, what, like give me an example. Like what could you, like, what could you do then that you can't do now?
could not be more excited than to tell you about Ritual's new launch. The multivitamin company you know and trust has launched protein powders. Now, I gotta be honest, I'm a picky bitch when it comes to protein powder. This protein is legit, okay? The reason that I don't love proteins is because they're filled with soy. This one, Essential Protein by Ritual, is soy-free, gluten-free, and formulated with non-GMO ingredients. Here's how I prepare it, okay? It's a very specific way. I do two scoops of Ritual Essential Protein. Then I do a little bit of ice, not too much. If you do too much, it gets slushy. Then I do half water, half unsweetened almond milk. It's this delicious plant-based protein, and it's offered in three premium formulations for distinct life stages, and they really, really zoned in on your unique nutrient needs. I just tried it, and I'm obsessed, you guys. It has 20 grams of pea protein plus a complete amino acid profile. Amino acids, by the way, do not get enough love. They are legit. You can take it during pregnancy, postpartum, 50 plus, whatever. There's no added sugar or sugar alcohols. And like all Ritual products, Essential Protein is soy-free, gluten-free, and formulated with no GMOs. I think it's very important to do your research on whatever protein powder you're consuming. This one's made with traceable ingredients, so you know exactly what you're putting in your body and why. You can see their whole supply chain on their website. The website really breaks down everything. It's super seamless, so why not shake up your Ritual? To make trying something new less scary, Ritual offers a money-back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. Plus, All Skinny Confidential, him and her listeners get 10% off during your first three months. You're going to visit ritual.com slash skinny to add essential protein today. That's ritual.com slash skinny. I would also highly recommend stocking their vitamin section. It is good. Well, then there was no there was no rules like the Internet wasn't. Yeah, there's no social like rules either. Well, the freedom of speech issue for internet wasn't established, right? It was established for print, but it wasn't established for the internet. So you couldn't just go around like talking smack or whatever they called it, like trash or whatever, you know, on people and people didn't know if it was legal or not. So that's why I always get sued. I would get sued all the time and I would try to shield myself with the CDA, which is the Communications Decency Act. And that was my big escape and but it still wasn't established like there was never a person there wasn't that larry flint person to take it to the highest level and that's what i did is you know i would work my way up the ladder and i got to i believe it was the ninth circuit or the sixth circuit court three judges and they finally and i think the reason why i won is because facebook google youtube amazon TripAdvisor, they all came to my aid and they all all their lawyers came in so i had a team of like yeah, because they, 50 deep. It was gonna, if, if that, that went the other way, it's bad, bad for them too. If I would have lost, there would be no Facebook, YouTube. Basically what was going on is, are website owners liable for third-party content? So saying, if Lauren said, you know, something very vile about you, is Zuckerberg responsible if she wrote it on Facebook? So that's what they were trying to say. Like people were submitting stuff to me since I own the website, I should be responsible for what that person says. Which would, in turn, like, obviously people say all sorts of crazy shit on all these social platforms, and that would all go away if they did make the websites liable, because nobody would take that liability on. You'd be insane, too. You would would literally be sued into death. How many lawsuits did you get? I went 50 and 0. (laughs) Yeah, 50 and 0. 50 and 0. 50 and 0. In grand total, probably over a billion dollars in 
in not in people trying to sue me for money. Yeah, and I won them all. I probably spent at least $3 million defending myself. What was your lifestyle like when all this is going on? Are you living large or are you living normal? No, I was, I didn't have, I didn't have really money because all the money went to legal. You know, like at that, it, it was my 30s. So in that part of my life, I was really trying to figure out what my legacy was. Like, what am I doing with this? You know, like, is this, is it, am I getting off on this or is this something where I'm trying to establish myself and make a name for myself? Because I was always, I always had the chip on my shoulder. Like this isn't as bad as people think it is. Like they only think it's bad because they're on it or they know someone on it or they're in fear of being on it because they have jobs. People have jobs. And at that time, the dirty was so big. We were doing 10 million people a day coming to the site and it would be the number one thing in Google within two seconds of someone's names on it. But what's so crazy to me is that you had 10 million people on the site and at the time, like you couldn't monetize like you can now. No, no. Like if that was now, it, let's let's take, let's say that was now, what would you do differently with the monetization? Say it's right now today. Right now? Yeah. Well, a ton of people would just be trying to, to partner to, to give him to, money. Well, I would do, I would try to figure out how to do programmatic because there was no programmatic back then. Programmatic advertising is the lifeblood of, you know, the CPM game is the game now. That's what the internet is. So there was no RPMs. There were no CPMs. There were, there were you know, the CPCs and what that means is, you know, cost per click. Like it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't even real. So I would have to go out and get direct advertising. Wow. Yeah. That's vintage. Yeah. Like a door to door salesman. So at what point were you like, I'm done with the dirty. I want to move on to the next phase because one thing and why I really, why I really wanted you on this podcast is that I was very impressed listening to your evolution. You have evolved as a person. I think some people want to put you in the box as the dirty, but you're a father now and you're a good father. And you're also a businessman. You have celeb now, which we're going to talk about later, but you've evolved. So at what point did you start to be like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore? <laughs> to be honest, probably like year two, like year, like right when, right when it started and it's because it wasn't supposed to be like when I did it, it was supposed to be just like an outlet, a relief for fun for the guys. Like, and I was like, oh, wow. And in that time period, that's kind of when the internet started getting inflated you had these sites selling for like hundred million dollars that didn't even monetize. They, they just had a minimal audience, but there was a concept. So I was in that weird bubble of, you know, I have to keep going because this thing's valued at a hundred million dollars already. And it doesn't even make money. So I'm sitting here, like I'm sitting on some sort of treasure or some sort of gold mine. Right. So it's always been for me. It's like, I always wanted out because it was never me. Like that's, you know, the Nick Ritchie, uh, persona or the character that's not who I really was like I don't go up to people and say hey you're fat like that, that's not true but I do have that side of me where I thought I had a shield because I wasn't out so I thought I could say whatever I wanted to in my mind at that time in that you know whatever was in front of me I would say it because I knew that people were thinking it in their heads so when you meet your soon-to-be wife in Vegas you had the dirty, correct? Yes. So you're still doing the dirty at this point. You're not monetizing like you could be monetizing today. But I heard you're in Vegas and you can set the scene of what was going on because I feel like you'll do it better than I do. I was probably at the peak of of the dirty. Like I was, 
you know. You were getting paid for appearances, though, at this point, yeah, right? Yeah, like 25 grand to show up. So you started, you did start monetizing it just in unique ways. And, and what was the, what was the promoters or the the club owners or the companies, like, what was their their idea? Like, okay, we're going to get Nick and what, like, what did they want you to do? So they didn't want me to do anything. They just want you to show up. I was a white tiger. I would go there and I would literally drink and hang out with chicks and get on the the, the mic with a DJ and say hello. You know, it was it was back when there weren't the rules were a little bit more open for the nightclubs and the Kim Kardashian, the celebrity appearances, the Paris Hiltons, like that was still a thing. It was and it was a draw. Yeah, it was a, a total draw. Yeah, yeah. And and the DJ thing. What year is this? Two thousand ten. Yeah. To, yeah. Well, from 11, two thousand from two thousand to like fourteen. Well, it's still going, but yeah, but I would say from 2007 to 2010, I probably made a million dollars in, in appearances. So you did eventually monetize. No, because that money all went to legal and the dirty. So I was just an employee. Technically, I just paid myself a hundred thousand a year. That was my salary. You know, people look at it and they're like, oh my God, this guy's just got more money than God. And you know, he can do whatever he wants, you know? It was never, it was never level. The rock star life or whatever, it was free. It was comped. Everything was free. So I was probably drinking two million, three million dollars in booze, Grey Goose or whatever, getting flown out private, getting put up at the best hotels and whatever. But that was all free. Like that was part of the package. But you didn't then later get to take a pile of cash and throw it in your own bank account. Just no, like- no. But there was also the fear of also the lawsuits. So I never even like my lawyer always told me, you can't have assets. You can't buy anything. You can't do anything. Like, you know, and I'm like, well, what do I got to do? Like, do I got a full, like go offshore? Like, how does this work? He's like, no, you just got to be a straight arrow, straight shooter. Let them come after you. And that was my, honestly, my biggest defense. They would come depose me. They would go through my financials and they'd be like, there's nothing here. And I'd be like sitting there laughing across their faces, be like, okay, well you spent a lot in legal. So once I win this thing, I'm going to, I'm going to sue you and I'm, you're going to pay my legal. So that was kind of my whole thing. It was like, try to get the legal fees taken care of. And, and did most of these lawsuits come from people that were displeased about being on the site or was, yeah. okay. It, oh, that's all it was. It so was, like they were like somebody, a celebrity or a personality or like somebody with a, you know, rich relative, whatever would get on, on the site and be like, okay, well to get off, I'm going to sue this guy and they yeah. bring a frivolous lawsuit to you. And then you'd have to defend it, which still costs you money. We are back talking about Olive and June. And you guys, I'm telling you, their Manny system is the answer. I did my nails at home. They're black right now. I'm going to try to post them on Instagram story. And I cannot believe how good they look. The thing about this Manny system, that's the selling point, And it's the thing that I just keep talking about is that they have this thing called the poppy. And it's this patented thing that you can put on the nail polish topper where you can paint your hands with each hand. So I used to paint my left hand with my right hand and it would look perfect, but then I would do the other hand and it would look so shitty. Now I can paint both hands at home and their polish is like super thick and shiny, almost like a gel, which is nice too. So you can paint your hands. They don't look like they've been painted by a five-year-old and it's like a crisp, pigmented color that's shiny. It's it's really like honestly genius. Every single person 
who is into manicures needs this Manny system. Literally, this poppy brush handle just makes it so easy to paint. It looks good. The system's also super affordable. So there's six polishes, which breaks down to $2 a manicure. And the polish is great. Like all the time people are asking me if I have gel and I do do gel sometimes. Um, But when I'm at home, I never do gel. I give my nails a break, but it's so shiny and it doesn't chip. That's so important to me that it doesn't chip, especially when I'm traveling. So definitely try it out. We had the founder on the podcast, Sarah Gibson Tunnel. She's insane. She's so detail-oriented. She's all about a brand. And it's no surprise that the Olive and June Manny system is so flawless. Like she literally thought of everything, okay? No messy nails, no salon price tag. And now you get to get 20% off your first Manny system with our code SKINNY. Your new nail life is here. Get 20% off your first Manny system when you use promo code SKINNY at oliveandjune.com. We're done with expensive bad manis. This is the new us. Still cost me money, but at that time there wasn't a set. There wasn't a case law or like precedent set, right? So once precedent was set by me, no one sued me anymore. It was the it was the craziest thing. And honestly, it was the darkest times of my life because I felt like I was on the decline because no one no one would sue me. The, the lawsuits also made me feel like I was doing something right. You know, as, as weird as that sounds, it's almost like if, if people aren't jealous of your success or thinking that they can penetrate you in a way to take you down, then you're not actually rising. So for me mentally, I was like, why is no one suing me anymore? Like, what do I got to do? Like, this is crazy. Like I kept pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope, but the case law was set. I you said know, like it. any lawyer that looked at it was like, listen, you can sue, you're not going to win. So what's the point of even doing it? My, my lawyer would just do, would just send back a copy paste here. Here you go. We won this one. This chick wanted $12 million. Look what she ended up paying us. And this is, this is set law. Like literally I'm in, in the books, which is crazy too, because like they study me at schools, like I, in law schools, Harvard law school, they study me. So for me, it's like, okay, well, I did something there. There you go. That was my legacy. Right. And Sarah Jones was the Cincinnati Bengal cheerleader that sued me and actually ended up, she was a school teacher. She ended up marrying her student and having kids with him and like the whole thing. So in the end, the post was pretty much true. Hold on. So there's a cheerleader. Explain that a little more for our audience. I heard it on Heather, but I want to explain it more here. So she's from Kentucky. She was a Cincinnati Bengal cheerleader. I guess that's what they're called for the football team. Someone submitted her saying that she sleeps around, you know, she hooks up with students, whatever it was. And all I said is why are all teachers freaks in the sack? Cause that was the thing. Like during that time period, these teachers were getting busted for sleeping with their students. So this thing goes to two jury trials. I'm in Kentucky, miserable. Oh, Jesus. oh dude, it was a nightmare. I'm married too at the time. I'm just having my daughters being born. So I'm going through all this stuff. And it was probably the most stressful time in my life because I didn't know if I was going to win or lose. And I knew just looking at the jury and her lawyer just basically played me out like, a you know, their plan was to make me look like a terrorist. So in Kentucky, it's all white and old people, right? That's what the jury was. It was white female. Um, probably the youngest person on the jury was like 50. So I ended up having a mistrial, the first one, which was two weeks in Kentucky. 
So I had to do it all over again. And I lost the, the judgment. They wanted, I think it was 30 million or 3 million or something like that. And the judgment ended up being 300,000. Not bad. So I was like, okay, well, that's not the end of the world. But of course, I'm appealing to the higher court. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I got to get to the show, which is the Supreme Court. Like that was my goal. Get to the show, get to the show, get to the show. But then Google, all these, all these people started freaking out. It was all over the news. Like, hey, like the internet might be done. Like it was like a real thing and people didn't take it serious. And Facebook, Google, Amazon, they were tripping out. And they're like so mad because I'm the poster boy. Like Nick Ritchie of the Dirty is going to be that guy, right? So they came in with the big guns. You talk about the big guns, the lawyers. They wrote Amicus's, just basically making all the me, capital up. Everything. Oh, dude, they made me look like a god. So I have this piece of paper that literally shows every single logo and signatures and the whole thing. That's like a framer, and it's priceless, right? But yeah, like to me mentally, and I know this is going to sound, and this is why everyone calls me narcissist. And I, I don't, I don't believe I'm smarter than anyone in the room ever, right? My thing is I can see the best in people and I can bring out the best in people and take their weaknesses and put them on display. It has nothing to do with being the smartest in the room. But to me, that piece of paper I have is me basically vind being vindicated as saving the internet. And my lawyer, who was just like Larry Flint's lawyer, just a nobody out of Arizona, is now, they call him Mr. CDA. And he's making, you know, he's defending all these different types of websites now. And I'm just kind of like, whatever it's cool and i think personally like hey i save facebook i save well in a way it was about i mean like talk about regulation like that would have like the regulations that would have existed if you went the other way on the internet like it just wouldn't it wouldn't exist the way it exists now like maybe this podcast wouldn't exist the way no, it exists. It's a everything has to go through cda you know what i mean like it just an example if i talked shit on someone on this show right would that person sue me or would they sue you guys that's that was that was what this was. They shouldn't be able to sue you because I'm the one who said it. They should be the person that should be responsible is the person who submitted the content. And that's all I was trying to say. And that's all Facebook and all these people wanted was like, hey, we need something to basically start making money. Because once that happened, it was game on. It was literally people. The Internet was on fire. Amazon was making bank. Yelp was was crushing it. And now it, it just it just got to a really weird sticky place where hey you know can you pay to remove posts and that's where it's now we're in this like weird gray area that yelp is taking advantage of where you know if there's a bad review you know just pay us we'll take it down and are you kidding no so so that's now that's what it is now that's what what it's become th today but when i was doing it it would, I, I was, my biggest thing is I, I wouldn't take anything down. Like that was, that was my, my, I have backbone and I will fight to the end. You know, let's go to court. Let's do whatever it takes. You want to sue me for $30 million? Let's dance. So that was what I was. That's why you can never get into your post taken down, Lauren. Yeah, I tried. What was it? Was it good? Um, looking back, like I agree with you that sometimes bad promotion is great promotion. Sometimes I think all the yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that looking back, I find it funny and it's kind of like, I kind of like it. Is that weird to say? I kind of like, I'm like, Oh, I've featured on the dirty. But at the time when you're 21 years old yeah. and you see a post like that, you want it down. What now, section was it in? What city? I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, San Diego. San Diego. San Diego. Okay. 
Now, though, there's probably forums talking shit about me and on my comments section, and I'm like used to it. You almost become like immune well, to yeah, it. Well, yeah, because it gave you the confidence to become a yes. public figure and understand that this, this yes. the stuff that people say don't really mean anything. Exactly. And that's why I look back on it and I like laugh about it because it's, it's so true. It's like you use that muscle that makes you upset on the internet when people say things. You just use it over and over and over, and all of a sudden you just don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. I want to go back to when you met your wife in Vegas because it was a funny story. So I was hosting Tao Beach and I was leaving the, the beach area because I just got christened in the pool by some priest. <laughs> I, I guess thought I, you were going to say a girl christened you. No. Oh, okay. A no. priest. Okay, go on. A priest. So I thought I was cleared of all my sins. Like that's how drunk I was. Like I, this guy dunked me under in the pool and I and thought- And it was an actual priest? Yeah. Yeah, Reverend or whatever. And he dunked me in in the hell was he doing at Tao Beach? Well, that was the whole thing. Jason Strauss had this great idea who he runs Tao and he's like, Hey, we're gonna clear you of all your sins and we're gonna find a reverend and we're gonna dunk you in the in the water. We'll clear out the pool. So I they cleared out the entire pool and everyone's like standing around, like cheering, and I like Thought I found Jesus and I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And this is in the context where everyone standing around knows you're Nick from the dirty and they're like, oh, we're going to clear his sins together. Yeah, because I also brought 16 16 (laughs) of ASU's hottest girls. Like I brought them with me as, you know, just whatever for atmosphere. So I brought them. So I had a huge aunt, like a huge crew of people and we were hosting. So long story short, I left the pool. I'm like, and I looked around. I'm like, God, what am I doing? what, why did I bring these girls? Like, you know, I gotta get, like, I gotta get my life together. So I went to this weird, like find Jesus moment. And as I'm walking back to my room, Shane, who I call Onassis now, she was at the, uh, Palazzo bar and I was staying at the Venetian or Palazzo, one of those two. And, uh, I was like, wow, this is like some hot blonde at the bar. And my buddy, Lonnie Moore, who was there gambling, he, I was like, oh, I need you, I need it. Didn't he own Ledoux? Yeah. Oh my God, I used to work for him, go on. So at that time he was like big too, right? So he wanted to introduce me to Shane, but he never showed up. So I went to the bar, he's like, meet me at the bar. So I went to the bar, saw this blonde girl and I started, you know, saying like, I saw her and I'm like, God, I'm like, this, maybe this is a sign. Like this is the one or like, you know, I just got christened and I'm like, well, whatever. So I start talking with her and she wanted nothing to do with me. And uh, she spilled her drink on me. And mind you, I'm like in a bathrobe <laughs> and a fedora walking around the casino. And I just told her, I'm like, hey, like I tried to name drop myself. Didn't work, she didn't know who I was. That got me more excited. And I'm like, I cannot let this one slip. Like I, this, this is, this chick, this is it. And then I like walked her back to some cheerleading competition she had for her sisters. And I gave her my number. I'm like, hey, let's, you know, I want to take you to dinner, like a proper date. And, you know, to her credit, like, I can't believe she even put up with me because I was pretty wasted. And I was in that weird, you know, phase, which I was kind of aggressive with her because I just didn't want to lose her. And then I got, I got her number. We were texting back and forth. And then she randomly like text me like, hey, I'm going to come. And she came to the dinner we had this dinner with the owner and I moved all the girls to the table next to us. She didn't know about the girls and the girls were just all staring. So, 
So the entire time I'm with her, this group of 16 girls were just staring at us. So I don't know if that helped or hurt. I feel like it helped. It, I don't think it hurt. No, I think it helped. Yeah, I think I'm sure. it, I think it helped close the deal, to be honest, because she was probably like, wow, this guy like, well, he's got a know, lot of attention. Yeah. Like what's going on? And the best part. So we leave, we leave the dinner, we go to the club, did the same thing at the owner's table at Tao. And I had Vice was on, I was DJing and I was like, dude, you got to give her shout outs every five minutes. I don't care what you got to do. Say, you know, Shane Lomas in the house, you know, this is the one, this is the one. He's like, dude, you're crazy. I'm like, just do it. Then I, I've moved all the girls to the table right above us. So, you're, so wait, you're on this date and you, but you still have to take care of these 16 girls. You're just kind of like moving yes, them to different yes, locations. Yes. And I have a couple of buddies who are like, you know, useless, just partiers. Right. I'm like, <laughs> bro. I'm like, and these are my high school friends. I'm like, dude, you got it. Like, this is it. Like, leave me with this girl, like take care of these. And these girls were hot. These weren't like, what a chore for these poor young men. Yeah. But they're, yeah, but yeah. it is a chore for them because they don't, they don't know how to communicate with women. So, <laughs> so they're like trying to finagle and these girls are just snipering me and I'm just, I could feel it on my back and like, eh, you know, and then we, we were, she was getting shout outs. I made out with her in the club. We started talking and we're in Vegas and I'm like, you know, I don't know who said it first, but like, Hey, we should get married. And this is probably hour like four. It didn't work out because it was already, it was already too late. You can't, you, I guess in Vegas, there's like a cutoff. We try to get married, didn't work. And then after four hours of meeting, I've uh, never heard the story. So yeah. So, so after it was like this, we're at hour four. Yeah. And then she decides to spend the night with me. It's the best sex I've ever had. And at that time I was having a lot of it. And I was like, this is, too good to be true. Like I was, I was almost like thinking I was getting set up. Like something was, something weird was happening. And we also should note and that Shane at the time give context of what she was doing. You had no idea. No idea. And she had a show at that time too. She was on The Bachelor, right? She was on The Bachelor, but she had Leave It to Lamas, which was on E. She had her own show. So, but I didn't, I wasn't really connected. Like I never, I didn't know what the, like I know The Bachelor, but I didn't, if she would have told me she won The Bachelor, I probably would have like hard paused it, you know? But we didn't, we didn't even discuss what, what we did. Like we, I remember us going, driving in the car with my buddies to the little white wedding chapel. And she's like, hey, I got a couple questions for you. Like she started, you know, freaking out. I'm like, hey, we don't have to do this. And she's like, do you have any kids? Are you married? Like, you know, what's, you know, she asked me like, is this your real name? Like what's going on? So there's like four or five questions that we asked each other and uh, I didn't have kids. I wasn't married. Like everything was, you and know, there's alcohol involved at this time or not. No, because this was the next day. Okay. 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 So after the sex, we woke up, whatever. And we're like, Hey, do you still want to get married? And she's like, yeah. And she had it all Googled and like everything was all, you know, it was all set up. And then my manager at the time was there too. So he helped her and I should have killed him too. Cause I don't know why he wouldn't let me do that. <laughs> And my buddies were smoking weed and they were like, this is crazy. Is this really happening? So we get the tuxedo t-shirts and, you know, we get to the chapel. Weird thing was, is as we were leaving the chapel, Taylor Swift was there and her friend was getting married and she was leaving as we were walking in just random. Right. And then I go in there and I, you know, you have options of what you want. And I want to do the Michael Jordan package because I guess Michael Jordan got married there. There was like a Britney Spears package, Michael Jordan package. And I felt Michael was the best one because he was still married at the time. 
from from Vegas. So I thought it was better for us to do the Michael Jordan package, which came with free DVD, two rings. A lot of critical reasoning here. A lot of, a lot yeah. of, it was Vegas. Yeah. And I was, and I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, you know, I'm married and I go back to Scottsdale. She goes back to Malibu and, you know, we just say, oh shit, it was Vegas, right? But it like started turning in to us being married after 12 hours of meeting 10 to 12 hours, eight hours. It wasn't, it wasn't clocked, but it was, it was less than a day it, to media wildfire. Like it was crazy. Like I was, and that's when I started like doing the research. I'm like, this is your dad. This is this person. For like, people that don't know, explain like the whole, the whole landscape. So her, she is the daughter to Lorenzo Lamas, who was famous for, he was on Greece. He did a show called the renegade Falcon crest. Like he was that, that guy, an actor. His dad was Fernando Lamas. Fernando Lamas was the Argentinian heartthrob that was on like I Love Lucy. And he was in a whole bunch of, he was one of the MGM actors, like when it was old Hollywood. He was the guy that came up with, you know, it's marvelous darling. That was like his tagline. And Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live would always, Billy Crystal would always make fun of him and do a sketch on him. He was, he was really famous, like super famous. And he was married to Esther Williams, who was an MGM girl. And he was also divorced or married to Arlene Dahl, which is Shane's grandmother, who was another MGM contracted. And you're talking about going, this is back Hollywood, old Hollywood, where like, it was like- and the real, studios had actors under contract. Yes, and it was real actors. So are you like tripping out at this point? Are you looking around and be like, what the, like this? No, it's like, dude, I just hit the jackpot. I thought <laughs> she had money. I thought the family was loaded. They had nothing. I, I, I got married and I had to pay her like $40,000 leave it to Lamas IRS bill. Like it was a nightmare. <laughs> I got played so hard, but you know what? I manned up and I was like, you know, I made this decision and I kept going with it because it was kind of cool. Like we were going, we were dating backwards, but we were already married. So there was no, like, there was no courting each other trying to get to that stage. It's so hard to explain because we would do these Friday night dates. We would go to Sedona. We would, you know, I flew, I brought her out to Scottsdale cause she was like pretty much homeless. So I'm like, Hey, you know, your car got repoed. You're, you're a full scam, but come over here and, and I'll <laughs> fix this. So I fixed her life, set her up. A couple, couple jabs in there, but all right. <laughs> there's, there is, there's some jabs because I think they're not in, they're not. No, no, no. I, 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 I'm like, I don't have the context. So it's I'm Hollywood. Liking, I need the context. It's Hollywood. The context. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. It's keep Hollywood. Going. So she's all, she's old Hollywood royalty. Her, her family, her older generational family has stars, Hollywood stars on the walk of fame. But in the, in the end, she's, you know, she became a reality star. She started, she was acting in general hospital or whatever that was, but she was just a reality star. And what, what do you, what did you like about her? Let's start there. Honestly. Yeah. Uh, th that's actually a good question. So when I first saw her at that time, I was into a couple girls, like they were my muses. Like I, I looked at them and I was like, wow, these girls are, you know, aesthetically appealing to me which was Amber Heard was one of them in her prime. Sienna Miller, I was obsessed with Sienna, Sienna Miller's face. Like I thought her face was just perfect. Scar jo, I loved her nose. So I saw You're Shane. You're building like Mr. Potato Head. Well, no, but I saw Shane as a, as a hybrid combination of all, all these girls. So you thought she was beautiful? At that time, yeah, I thought. And, and personality wise, what did you like? I liked that she didn't like me. I liked that she treated you me like shit. I love that so much. You guys, here's the unlock. Just act like you don't like them and they're annoying and they're a rodent. Yeah, I know, but I, it works both ways. Yeah, it does work both ways, but it really works with men. If you act aloof, like it, you don't give a fuck, 
They always want more. And you have to understand at that time, I, I could have whatever I wanted. So it was refreshing to, to actually have someone that didn't like, she wasn't into it. I am absolutely obsessed with BetterHelp. I'm obsessed with talking about it. I've told all my friends about it. I even told my family members about it. Basically, it's not a crisis line. It's not a self-help line. It's a professional counseling done securely online. This is another situation where you can save your time. Instead of getting in your car and driving to therapy, you can just get online all efficient. I like this way better because there's nothing worse. And this has happened to me before when you're going to therapy and there's traffic and you're late and then you run into someone when you're in the office. Maybe you want to go to therapy anonymously. You run into Susan from high school, you're leaving, then you're stuck in traffic again. It's a whole thing. So if you want to do professional counseling done securely online, you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. This is all streamlined, you guys, because you don't have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room and run into Susan from high school. Like I said, BetterHelp is affordable, more than traditional offline counseling. And this is the best part. I was just telling my friend about this. They have financial aid. It's available. You can check it out. This service is available for clients worldwide and they deal with everything. So if you have depression, stress, anxiety, relationship trouble, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief or self-esteem, they got you covered. The best part is everything you share with them is confidential. It's convenient. It's professional. It's affordable. I mean, especially with what everyone's gone through in the last year and a half, this is the move. If you're feeling like you need some extra support, I would definitely check out betterhelp.com skinny. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. People are just wild about it. I cannot tell you how many people have texted me about it. I want you to start living a happier life today as a Skinny Confidential. Him and her listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com skinny. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash skinny. Yeah, this is why the context is important because the context you framed out is like you're there with 16 beautiful women. You're in a club that's giving you whatever you want. You're in a DJ doing whatever you want. You have a hotel room, you have a private jet. So like you're already from like the reason guys, let's just say I'll contextualize all guys or frame out all guys. Like the reason they go to Vegas is to try to find those things, but you're already there with all of those things in excess. And it was, yes. And it was just handed. It wasn't like I had to work, you know, you go like, and I, and people get so mad when I say civilian, but it's, it's when you live the civilian lifestyle, you're going to these places and you're paying extremes amount of money just in hopes that you can find a girl that will actually not just drink your alcohol. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing to say, civilian. It's 100% true. You go there, you're not set up like this. They're going to charge you the most amount of money for some of the shittiest tables and locations, and they're going to give the charge least amount of money or no money and give the best tables to people like yourself. Right? It, 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 it is to get people to come in there and do those correct, things. Correct. The guy next to me and the guy to the left of me and the guy to the right of me, they're spending like 50 grand. You know, so so for these club owners, it just makes sense. 
it, bring in this guy, tell him we'll sit you next to Nick. Nick has tons of girls anyways. He's not going to talk to them. So you might as well just sit next to him, we'll, you know, and you'll get the overflow. And that always worked. Like literally the overflow was like the key. So they would always put me, Pure Nightclub was the big thing at the day. They, they would put me on the stage and they put me in the middle, the middle booth. And then they would get these whales with, who would just constantly just buy me alcohol, buy me alcohol, do shots with me, take to a get picture. Close to the girls. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, these girls see like, okay, well, Nick's not going to sleep with me, but that guy's loaded. This guy's loaded. Here's the exit strategy. Were you a man whore before you got married? No. Not at all. No. I lost my virginity at 21. Like, I was not, it wasn't, obviously, I wanted to have sex, but like, I was a civilian. Like, you had to like, go and like buy flowers you had to do romantic things you had to like really work hard to be with a woman that you really wanted to be with and i was married before my first marriage was to a model from chicago who ended up being you know i dated her for five years we were married for like a year and a half and that one was like i tried so hard to be like a nice normal guy and it wasn't for me like it just it wasn't and i feel bad to this day because she was a really good person but there's no mention of her we don't talk about each other she never asked me for a dime which god bless her soul for doing that (laughs) and she saw that i was just blowing up and she couldn't handle it she couldn't handle the dirties dirty scottsdale and she's like i'm out i'm like what can you do so and that was another reason why i hated the site so much too because i felt like I was attracting the wrong type of friends, wrong type of people, you know, they were all vampires. And I I never did drugs, like I wasn't a druggy guy. I would drink and I learned how to drink, but I wasn't the guy that was party guy. Like it just wasn't me. But yes, I did go through a a weird phase when when I knew when it like hit me, like, oh wow, like I don't have to like talk to these girls. They still want to sleep with me. And it wasn't, I would party, do my thing, whatever. And they would still come back to the room. So then I went through this weird thing that I would start doing threesomes. And and that was my, that was my, I don't know. Vice. Yeah, pretty much. Like I wouldn't go to a city. Like you weren't just staying up all night doing hard drugs. You're just. Sex. Yeah. Threesomes. That was it. What was it like when you had this juxtaposition when you're partying in Las Vegas and now you're a married man and you, and like, does your whole life change? Do you still do the dirty? How does that phase out when you're married? Like give us context of what and married- was she on board for the dirty? Like when she learned, like, as you guys got to know each other more? No, cause she, she didn't really know what it was. Once she started seeing all like the girls submitting themselves, there was a big section called would you, and it was basically asking me if I would sleep with them. For the most part, I was pretty picky at that time. And I would say no, and I would basically explain to the person why. Mainly, belly buttons are a big thing for me. And <laughs> if they have, you know, Audis or blowholes, I would call them like oh, big Jesus. ones. So, so I was pretty aggressive, but I was honest, you know. And and people can take it as comedy, or people can take it as reality. But the crazy thing is, the women would take it as reality, and then they would go get plastic surgery and fix themselves. Fine, it works. You know, like I'm not, I'm not opposed to it, but what I would ever, I would say they would do. And then it started getting really bad where girls wouldn't submit themselves. They would like try to get a hold of me. You know, they would send an email of naked pictures or whatever. And I would have to explain to Shane like, Hey, she's not, this isn't like a a sex thing. She wants to know about what she can do with her cheekbones. How did that go for you? A naked photo where you're trying to explain to your wife, Hey, she wants to know what to do with your cheekbones. This is a really strange position to be in. (laughs) I feel bad for her. I feel bad for my wife or my ex-wife, but 
she's the one that said yes. You know, she wanted, we we're doing this marriage thing and I think it works both ways. The hardest part for me was cutting off. I had a really strong, solid, I know this thing sounds so stupid, but I had a solid group of girlfriends, not like girls that I would sleep with, like beautiful girls that I would just hang out with, like 12 of them. You give me that vibe that you have a lot of girlfriends. Like, I, just I, I know you I know you don't now you you can explain that but I, I can see why you had a group of girlfriends and, and it's crazy because I have these now that I'm starting to get back on Instagram and I'm asking for advice because I don't I'm a single guy now I don't know how to do laundry I don't know how to do any of this stuff right so I have these I call my IG wives and they basically tell you it's the greatest thing ever they tell you how to survive in the world it's like life hacks but like with IG beautiful IG wives I call them but going back to Shane is, you know, I had to cut everyone off. Like it was like a hard cut and girls were still texting me, like thinking that the marriage wasn't real and they were testing me and sending, you know, sexual texts, like saying like, Hey, what are you doing? Or sending naked pictures. And I remember one time she like somehow like saw my phone and she just, she just beat the, she beat the shit out of me. She literally, we were in Optima in Scottsdale. We were coming back and she, and I remember she, she felt so bad that she stopped drinking from that point on. But yeah, she like, and, and it took everything in my power to have her to stop punching me. She was that wasted on the mix of pills and alcohol and the whole thing. And it was all over these girls. And then, and then and I how had far it, into the marriage is this? This is like month six. No, Jesus. Yeah. So I'm like trying to cut everyone off and I can't like, and I basically, I had to change my number. Like I didn't have a choice. Like, and that's where it started. I should have realized it, but I, the control started happening and the put downs were not attractive anymore. You know, there's a, a guy can only take it so much, but she like yell talks and like, she would just constantly, you know, just put me down and make me feel What's so the small. Put down? Give an example just like you're a terrible husband. You don't, you don't give me enough money. You're not buying me things, you know, like it, it was all like superficial stuff, you know, like, and I didn't care for her family enough. Like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a good father, which was crazy to me because she like is not like the best mother in the world. She's, she's a good mother at doing like crafts and glue guns and projects but she's not like waking up, making them breakfast. I'm taking my kids to school and picking them up from school every single day. You know, I'm up at 5.30 and I'm literally working when I can and then trying to juggle the children. So for me, I'm like, okay, well maybe- and how many children? Two children. I have okay. a, a six-year-old son and a nine-year-old daughter. And let's go back for context for everyone. So at what point did you guys decide to have your first daughter? It wasn't a decision. We were having sex and we were in Miami and uh, I came back from live and I just, you know, we hooked up and she got pregnant. And so were you guys like, how, how far along? This was like a year and a half. And are you guys are like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to have the baby. She was scared. She was scared that I was going to be like freaked out and like pissed off. I was the most excited ever. Like all I've ever wanted was to have kids. And I just wanted to have a family. Like I was trying so hard to find some sort of normalcy and the shit that I was doing, which was for me at that time, I thought I could do it. Like I really thought I could control everything and I couldn't, like it just was not possible. It, and it blows my mind how I could communicate with 10 million people on a daily basis and I couldn't communicate with one person, the only person. And that was what kept me going. The marriage kept me going because I just wanted a breakthrough. I was like, okay, there's gotta be, it's gonna happen. Like today's the day, you know? 
and, I, and it just never happened. It never happened. What do you mean the, to break through what? You guys weren't on the same page. You're, on, you're reading different books. What do you mean? She is a fascinating person that every day you don't know what she's thinking. Her mind is cluttered. So I just, I could never have a real conversation with her. There wasn't like, we would go out to dinner and we we wouldn't talk. Like I would try to make her laugh. I would try to do the nice things. She she wasn't a thank you person. She was just privileged. She just, she just expected everything. So I was hoping like one day she would buy me something or she would like go out of her way to appreciate me. She never did. And she admits it, like that's her thing. But I, I know this sounds crazy and it's 11 years of marriage. I still have no idea who she is no idea like i know the bad parts that i don't like about her but i i could never crack the code on who she is as a person like i'm sure you guys understand each other your souls like you, you believe in that stuff and the soulmate thing like i couldn't get to cracking her soul to become the soulmate and in my mind i'm like this is she she's got to be the person she's got to be the person and i was always looking at it from the perspective of wow, like she's so interesting that she can keep my attention and we're still married and it like kept going, but it wasn't, it didn't keep going because we believed in the marriage. It kept going because we kept trying to figure out who we were. And you guys would never lay in bed and just talk or you never would go to dinner alone without the kids and have like great conversations. There was none of that. That ended as soon as we had our first child and, you know, and I know she denies this, but like she, she takes Ambien to sleep. And when she, when you do that, you have these crazy dreams and she, in these dreams, she would always like, I would be cheating on her or like there would be a fight or whatever. And she'd be like full stepbrothers and like punching me, you know? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So like, so she like wake up out of nowhere and like actually start, you had wrong. She would, her eyes would be closed, but she like screaming and yelling and fight. And, and it got to, it got so bad to a point where I, I'm like, I'm out. Like I'm going to go live in the West wing. Like I got my own room. I got my own setup. I'm watching my own Netflix. And we just, I would say by the time we had our son, we were completely separate in separate lives, like separate wings the of the same house. house. So you're just, you're living together, but you're not sleeping together anymore. Yeah. Are you even, are you friendly in the day? Not even a closet. Like I had like no closet. Like I had, I was literally living. Like I worked for her. Like I was her assistant and, and I was, I, I have such a big heart that I was like, I couldn't say no. Like I just, I just kept going with it and trying to make her happy. Like I was just trying to make her happy all the time. And I failed miserably. What about when you guys went through everything with losing a baby? You talked about this on Heather. There wasn't, there wasn't anything that you could find within that experience to come together. I thought so. I, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Losing a child. I can't imagine. Well, your wife, now ex-wife, is in a coma and you're literally, oh, it's like making me have flashbacks, but like I had to hold the child, I had to sign the death certificate, I had to name the child, because this is a religious hospital, and they were like, you have to have closure oh, with the child. That's really I, had to, heavy. I had to, to figure out how to bury the child, I had to do all this stuff on my own. And I know like, People think it's like so selfish of me to even say like, hey, she wasn't there. Obviously she was in a coma or whatever, but I was there for her as well. Like I was sleeping next to her every single night for two weeks or whatever it was in this hospital and just trying to like pray that she would come back to life. And then I was worried like, what am I gonna say? Like, how, how am I gonna tell her we just lost our child? It was really hard. It was like super hard. And I remember 
like, and I'll never forget like this hot. I see it like every week because she had a huge like tube going in her mouth and down her throat, and she couldn't communicate. And I remember she she woke up. She was kind of panicking, and she she saw this big thing like going down her throat, and she couldn't talk. And all she did, she looked at me, she squeezed my hand and then she took her other hand. She was patting her stomach because she was like trying to do sign language. And I remember her saying no. And I just started crying like, no, you know, I, I didn't know what to say. We lost, we lost the child, but I was so happy that she woke up, but she was still like on breathing tubes and like all this stuff. And she just, she, you just see the tears coming, but no voice, you know? So it was, <sighs> it was so, it was so intense and so surreal and the hate I was getting was, was hard. It was hard. Like, what do you mean the hate you were getting? Just from the dirty. Like everyone's like, oh, this is your karma. People were putting, you know, sending me pictures of dead fetuses. Like it was, I was getting dead cats in front of my door. Like it was bad. What? Yeah, it was bad. Twitter was still like, that was the big thing back then. And people were just celebrating. I remember Janelle Evans from Teen Mom was like, you deserve this, you're, you're dead fetus, you know, this is your karma and like all, and I was just like, wow, I'm like, okay. You know, but you start thinking like, is this maybe, is this real? Like, is this something that I did? You know, like, did I put that much negative energy into the world that it's coming back like this? So you, so you question yourself and you question your, everything that you're doing. And, and at that time, all I really cared about was like, hey, I just want my family home. And I was so worried about my daughter because she was so young at the time. I think she was three and she had no idea what was going on. She, you know, she just knows that mommy was sick. And my, my mom, God bless my mom. My mom has literally saved my life millions of times. And my, I, I, I have to give her credit because even right now I'm doing the show. She's like helping clean out the old house, you know, it just, it just blows my mind. But my mom took care of my daughter uh, like she always does and sheltered her, kept her away, kept her happy. And it was like, it was like out of a movie. It was just it's a, not- It's a not really, real. really heavy story. And it would be, it would be like, you can't like, I guess if you haven't been through it, there's no way you can even like fathom how difficult that probably was. It was really hard. And the media obviously wanted to know what was going on. And, and this was- I, the media attention on this was bigger than when we got married, bigger than when I got outed. It was when you have a, a child involved in, in a medical situation and your wife is like touch and go and these guys are just, she lost like 16 quarts of blood or whatever it was. They're just transfusing. They're trying to keep her, keep her alive. And they would keep coming to me in, in the waiting room. And that was another thing like and I don't want to talk about Heather's thing, but the, how she downplayed the whole thing. Like this was a, like a, a serious, serious medical tragedy that happened to us and it scarred both of us. And for her to not feel any scars from it, it like to mask it with, you know, whatever prescription she's taking, it hurts my heart because this is something that you need to learn from and go through in life to grow. So for me, I looked at it like, okay, well, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done to bury a child, name a child, death certificate, hold this child and the child looked exactly like my daughter, like exactly. And the worst part was, is we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl, we were like waiting out and it was a boy. So this is my first son. And that got us down to the road of doing fertility, looking into it. Cause she had, you know, a hysterectomy, but it was more intensive. 
so she couldn't have childs, but they were they were able to save her um, her tubes, the follicles on her tubes. They got rid of her ovaries, but the tubes had follicles on it, and they were able to stimulate the follicles with steroids, and and we were able to create nine embryos. And of the nine, of course, seven of them were girls, and two of them were boys, and the weakest one was a boy, and the third strongest one was a boy. We were going to have a girl because the two strongest ones were girls. And at the last second, I told the doctor, I'm like, I, you know, if, if, if this isn't going to take, I have to at least give it a shot for a boy. You know, like I, I want a son. Oh, give me a second. It's intense, By man. the way, anything that you're uncomfortable talking about, you don't, you don't have to talk about. I don't want to put, like, put it, you in. It's not like that because okay. I've lived my life in honesty and truth. And like, I, you know, I, I, it's not fair to, to the world to show their lives if, if they can't know my life. That's I also of, think this conversation about fertility and all this may help someone that's been in a similar situation that, that, that you guys were in. Well, a lion, who's my son, he was a one shot wonder. Like it worked. He came out and he's the best. He's the best. And you guys used, her, is it her stepmom or to explain that to Michael? Cause I was trying to explain that and I want to. Well, I, I, I get that you obviously like with the complications, you probably had to, use, you had to use a surrogate. It was modern family. Like it was literally like Lorenzo's fourth or fifth wife. Her name is Shauna Craig, sweet person. She was already working in fertility. She, she was selling her eggs and, uh, she was, I guess, a really strong candidate. And she knew the doctor. It was Dr. Smotrich down in La Jolla and he's the best. Like he has like an 85% success rate. And, uh, we decided to go through the process with her because she she was so knowledgeable about it. And uh, I met Smotrich and he basically made me, you know, answered all my questions. And I'm like, wow, like let's try the science thing and see if it works. It's really, a, it was a blessing. Like it really was like everything happens for a reason, I guess. Everyone was there and the timing was right. And maybe Lorenzo was supposed to marry this person for us, right? Because they got divorced pretty quickly after after that so what was it like having a surrogate i mean i'm i'm curious what it was like how was that experience it's amazing so it's like are you there during the birth no. do you go to the appointments well, what do you do so you yeah you go to the appointments but you you get to go golfing you get to go live your life <laughs> like we were in hawaii chilling and like facetiming back home making sure you know she's eating like it was it was the like if i could do it again which I want, I still want more kids. I would do surrogate all day. Plus like your wife's body is still in check. Like it, it was I huge respect benefit. the honesty. I respect the honesty, you know, well, you, we're, we're you are honest. I listen, I've only, but it's refreshing because I feel like most people, they just go through and they're just like, they, they don't say what they're actually thinking. They don't no, respond no, no. the way they actually feel like responding. I want to live my life knowing that whatever's in my head is going to come out of my mouth. So it can give to somebody because if they can see that I can have the confidence to talk like a normal person should talk and stop sugarcoating everything. Or like how you would talk to your close friends or your family. I right? think like, it's refreshing in 2021, particularly because everything is so censored now. It's hard. This yeah. is, this is like, I tell everybody to do what I did in the past. And even the way I think now I would be canceled in 2.5 seconds, but you're kind of, I feel I, like I you're actually, bringing that energy back. But you know what? I disagree. I think the people that get like canceled is because one, like there's two, there's two camps. There's, there's the people that have really like terrible intentions and are out to harm people. And of course, like they 
they get canceled. And then the other people that get canceled are the ones that like they, they just don't have a backbone. They pretend and they like they've created an image of like themselves. Howard Stern that, doesn't get canceled. Well, they've created an Joe image Rogan of themselves. That's yeah, not the evolved. true image. Yeah, but true. still, like it's the people you know because you, you look at these polarizing characters. Like how do they get away with it? It's like well because they're living in their true self, and people are like well that's them. And then there's these other people that like kind of create these personas, and then they step out of that persona, and it's so shocking and like it, it it's so yeah it's shocking to people that this is they're like okay like you've been lying to me this is not who you really are we're canceling you we're taking you down right yeah. so i look at myself like you know i'm at 42 and i'm i'm trying to go to the next stage which is creating my succession for my kids being a media mogul creating this new venture celeb which everyone please download the celeb app celebmagazine.com and it's just it's doing really well and i'm actually shocked because i have a really good team and it's so mainstream that people are just kind of like, wow, like he can actually be a business person. But the crazy thing is, is I've always been a business person. Uh, yeah, I think so too. What were you doing after the dirty in your marriage? Because you've obviously been incredibly successful business-wise. Like, I, I feel like I did. I missed that part of the story. Okay, so after I sold the dirty, which was like four years ago, and I want to let you guys know because there's this weird perception that I made millions of billions of dollars. I sold the thing for zero. I sign off my percentage. The partners that were invested in it, they made money. But I personally said, you know what? I started I started this thing for fun. I want to end it for fun. And I this is this wasn't a money game for me. It never was. It was literally to prove myself. Did that. Then I started But how do you, how do you walk away with zero while selling it? Because like how does that even work? And they all the money went to the partners. I just literally gifted them my equity which is probably the dumbest thing you could possibly do in the world. But there's the no way- question was gonna be like, why? But No, because I, there's no way I could sleep with myself knowing that there's someone out there that thinks that I'm just monetizing off their livelihood, you know? I did you it, evolved as a person. I did it for so many years. And and the crazy thing is that if you actually know me, I, I have a heart. Like I, I do care about people. I do donate. I do, you know, I do help. But it's not something that I'm like putting out there because Unfortunately, it's not like the best for my image from where what I was trying to build or the brand. Do you also feel like you had a daughter and that changed things or no? No, 100%. I think that changed things a lot. But at the same time, I was still sticking to my guns of what I thought in the moment. If like, someone put your daughter on the dirty, what would you do? Uh, would you advise her to take it in stride? Because if someone put my daughter on the dirty, I would I would say this is a great opportunity for you to overcome a microaversion to get better. That's true. But you're a dad, so I know that's different with a dad and a daughter. I'm trying to teach my daughter. Her name's Press, by the way. So cute. Play on media, play on this restaurant. We were in Napa. She, that was when she had her first kick and this restaurant's called Press. But the reality is I was... First Amendment guy, I wanted to do something media-based, so I called it press. I, I've kind of raised her completely different from my son, but in a public spectrum, because I want her to understand that she's not, she's a public figure, she's not a private figure. So she's nine, but she also wants to be a singer and she wants to, you know, we started a podcast together called Girl Dad, which was supposed to, kind of similar to the dirty, like I wanted to have a, a joke type thing situation and it actually worked. I was like shocked, like people really care. But that was really just for me to have time 
with my daughter to communicate about life. She teaches me about what the kids think. I give her a little bit of Afghanistan and what's going on, you know what I mean? And try to explain to her like, hey, your life is so amazing and this is why, look at other people. So that's kind of my thing, but with her, going back to your question, I don't think she would she would look at it from a perspective of, of negativity because she actually, people do talk about her. Like, you know, she, there are people, she has an Instagram, like she knows what's going on. And her mom put her in pageants. So her confidence is like through the roof. Would it hurt me? The honest answer is yes, of course, obviously. I'm her father. You know, no father wants their daughter to be, you know, in a bad light. But also I invented the legal system in this spectrum so I would know how to get her removed. I'm gonna call you if Saz is ever on a site like The Dirty and you can tell me what to do. Easy, <laughs> easy. So talk to us about what you were doing within that four years after you sold The Dirty. You said you sold it four years ago. So at that time, influencers started becoming a thing. So I'm like, okay, there's a way I can do this where I can go back behind the scenes again be retired in my situation and golf and still make money. The crazy part, the less I work, the more money I make. I just worked smarter. I just wasn't working as hard. The dirty was insane because I had to do, you know, I would get thousands of thousands of submissions every single day. And I would have to literally say my two cents about every single market. So it, it was time consuming. Now I look back on it, I'm like, wow, like I really wasted a lot of time. What what I should have been doing is focusing on, hey, how do I make money and monetize? So I started a company called Relic, play off what I thought at the time, like I was gonna be a relic, go into the sunset, be gone, you know? And then I started managing celebrities as far as from a PR perspective and created this company called Relic, where I basically went to all the different tabloid magazines and websites and said, hey, you guys don't know how to make money. You're not monetizing. Let me teach you how. So I was kind of a consultant, but what we did is we did it instead of these magazines or websites paying for baby pictures or flat rates for exclusives or whatever, we would do rev shares and we would split it three ways. And it just crushed. We were making so much money and it's still going today. Like it's still is still a great company and I have a great team on the East Coast that runs it, but it's it's a simple, simple swipe up to a baby announcement or an engagement or a proposal. And I would show these sites how to get the traffic, how to make the traffic back out, how to pay for it at a rate that actually makes profit for everybody. And I'm sure you guys know what RPM is, revenue. Yeah. Revenue per, what is it, a million or whatever the, uh, I don't know what the acronym is, but every, page on say people.com. You're basically a, like arbitraging the, the, the sites. Yes. Yeah. So, and at that time, arbitrage two years before that time was kind of like looked at down frowned upon. Right. But then as Instagram blew up and social media evolved and people realized you could share stuff and actually make money. Just because of the way that the, I think it was looked down upon just because of the, the types of things people were sharing. But when it started to become like actually relevant content that people consumed and got value from, then it it's obviously taken on a different light. So for example, we represented a bunch of real housewives. So we would have the real housewives share us weekly stories about their show recaps or exclusives. And these girls were making, I was probably paying these girls at least like, I don't know, 20, 20 K a month just doing this. And 
it wasn't loud. It wasn't a product. It was PR. It's basically you going to me saying, hey, instead of a PR company, get stuff placed and we'll share it. And that's how it, it kind of evolved. So for so I was doing that and I'm still I'm still CEO of that company too, but uh, that was making a, a, a good portion of money. And then it kind of fizzled out because everyone was like, oh, this clickbait thing, this is clickbait, clickbait, which it wasn't because you're actually sharing an exclusive or a quote or something about yourself. But uh, we always have it, it, how that's how life works. Like everything's a movement and someone creates a word and then it kills it, right? So I was doing that. And then um, I went back to school, back to college, like so, Van Wilder. And and during this time, you and your wife are doing better on rocky grounds or like where like where are you guys at? Big house, living in Cota de Casa. I'm going to the club every single day. Real housewives want you guys to be on, right? There was a couple times where they wanted to. I wasn't into it. She really wanted to do it. And this last this last go around, I agreed, hey, if you if you do really want to do it, I'll give you I'll you know, I'll be on it. But it's so it's so time consuming. And the guys make no money and the guys get shitted on and you end up in divorce. And that was my fear. It's like my kids are gonna yeah, turn like, into what junkies. guys it worked out for that's going on that show. Like my thing would be like I it, like and I don't like these prospects, but it's a hard no because of all the things you're talking about. I don't care about the financial benefit. I don't care if we can promote a business or if the podcast blew you up. You end or up getting this, divorced. Like I don't want to fuck up my family by going on there and doing. And listen, no judgment on anyone that's doing it. It's just like well, life Orange is County's kind of, the worst. Life's pretty good right now. Regard like, and I don't really see the value in creating. Like I always say, like people create way more turbulence in their life than they need to like overcomplicate things. And that may make me kind of boring at this stage of my life, but I'm like, why, like why even create the atmosphere where I can like fuck up what's going on right now? Because that the, the drama sells, right? Yes. So the people that go on those type of shows, it's ego based. It's not, it's not like you're going on that show thinking, Oh, I'm going to, you know, have a great family you're going on that show sacrificing your family yeah like this is different because we control this atmosphere yes right like we're here like the the, the decision of whatever gets put out here is our decision there's not like somebody else there's not somebody popping into the room and being like hey we're gonna throw a glass of wine in your face out of nowhere or tell like someone's gonna pop in and be like hey michael was seen with these girls or lauren was seen with these guys like that's not happening like we control this environment yeah so my big thing one of my key words in life is creation, create. I think when you create, you're able to control your narrative, control your your destination. And it's you're coming from imagination, but it's also coming from a place of respecting yourself because you believe in yourself. So create to me is a big one. But when you start going in, like you said, you go into someone else's environment where they're basically creating your storyline, creating, controlling your edit, which is just crazy. You're basically giving your life away to somebody. And I don't care how much money they're, they're paying you. And what are the highest paid ones get a million bucks? What's a million bucks? You know, now like a million bucks is, is anyone can go make a million bucks if you really apply yourself and come up with that creative narrative in your mind where you can control your own destiny. Yeah, we're talking pre-tax. Pre-tax. So it's what, California, 500K? So... So she wants to go on the show. You say, fine, I'll do it this time. So you guys sound like you're in an okay place in your relationship. The last year, we're in a great place in our relationship. It wasn't until, like, I saw some sort of flags. Like, she's, you know, she was being distant, distant to me. And she started, you know, 
planning these random trips using the pageant as like her card as you know i need to go do this with my daughter so there's another guy basically and this guy he i guess he went to high school with with shane and havasu or eighth grade or something junior high but one day i you know i was home and i was getting the mail and there's like cards you know from this guy and her his kids he's got three kids and i'm not gonna name his name he's he's so low level like it's not even worth my time to even explain it but i'm explaining how i first found out that there was someone else and she was like oh it's just a friend it's just a friend but then i confronted the guy the guy pretty much admitted it like hey like you know i thought your marriage was over whatever and that was it that's when that's when the the heartbreak happened in me that's when i was like wow like how long had that been going on while you guys were married i don't i don't know i I don't know the exact and i don't want to know because every time i think about it it makes me nauseous because he had and not to sound superficial but he has nothing to give like not like i literally birkins rolex like a g-wagon like what whatever you want like my goal was to make her happy and that's how i live my life and it wasn't until this happened where i'm like wow like I'm not good enough. If I'm not good enough, what am I doing here? Like, what, like I have to accept this and I have to finally for the last decade, like go back to myself, go back to Nick Ritchie, like go back to like realizing who you are and how cool you used to be and say, you know, you can come and conquer. And that's why I was like, okay, I'm going to start celeb and start this media platform and start this app where I'm going to start licensing a ton of content and make a Netflix platform that's free. It doesn't cost money. Like this is ridiculous, you know, and find the right investment, find the right people who can get the right. Now that I've built such a Rolodex of smart, successful people that all want to work with me in some capacity, I just need to find the right tool. And I think Celeb is the tool where I can really compete with people, compete with Us Weekly, compete with Vogue even because it's really a high-end brand. It's a lifestyle brand. And that's what I'm trying to do now is like really focus on that. And I have a 10 year plan and it just, it's, it sucks for me because everyone's like expecting the world in like one year. Like I'm supposed to like pull this magic trick out of my hat and it's going faster than I can control it, which is good news. But at the same time, it's high class problems. And those are the worst problems to have are the high class problems. They're the expensive ones. So I'm in a, a place right now where I'm trying to get rediscover myself build this brand and end a marriage and uh it's probably the most stressful time in my life because i just the confidence is not 100 percent. it's just not there yet and and that's just me being honest with myself because i can sit here and tell you guys like hey i know this thing's going to take off i know i'm going to make a ton of money i know it's going to work and i know it's going to be big because i believe in myself but there's so many things that I have to do in my life personally that just to put out the flames, put the, put the water on, on the fire to get to a place where I can take this thing to a higher level. What's it like going through a divorce on the internet? Because this is a new thing. I mean, to you're, you're going through a divorce in real time on Instagram story and Instagram. The only thing I can revert back to is the dirty. And that's why I'm calling her names. I'm calling her Onassis. I'm calling her family, different names, calling this dude cupcakes, calling her dad Horenzo because he's, you know, whatever. So I'm trying to revert back to who I am because that's my safety. 
that's my net, but it's hard. Like it's, you know, it's hard to, to do it because I feel guilt because I haven't, I'm, I've not even told the worst of what's happened in my marriage. Like I'm trying to, to do the closure that I need personally through my social media to get out what I need to get off my chest to get just to, to let it go. Do you think you guys can ever get to a place where you're friends? No. Why? I don't want to. I don't want to because I love her. Like I still, there's still feelings there. Like every time I see her, it hurts me. And it, it's, it hurts me because of the children. And I'm not in a place where I can just say, Hey, like, let's be best friends. Like that's not going to happen. It never started as best friends and it's not going to end as best friends. Like it's just not like my mentality is it's not fair to me and the things that I've been through and what she's putting me through right now. And she, she's literally breaking up a, a solid, at least I thought it was a solid foundation. It might be for the best for both of us, but only time will tell. I don't know. The, the, I don't want this to come off as an insensitive question, but when you say solid foundation towards the end, when you guys were sleeping in separate ends of the house, like, do you feel at that time it was still solid or do you feel like you guys were not getting the, what you needed from each other at that time? Well, it's, it, we weren't sleeping in other rooms because we didn't like each other. That wasn't the point. The point was like, you know, she wanted her own space. She wanted her own closet. She wanted her own vanity. She wanted her own, you know, and she, she, she vapes. There's like a million vapes in the bed. Like there's just, it was just weird, you know, like her Shane's world was in her bedroom. She even, she would put a lock on it. So I, I wouldn't go in there because it was so messy. I, it was like hoarders on steroids. And my whole thing was, I like things clean, neat, OCD, you know, you come into my space and you feel safe. You feel like, wow, this is top class. But this, the separation of the bedrooms didn't prevent us from having sex. Like we would still, we were still hooking up. Like, but do you feel like you lose a little intimacy with your wife? If you're just like, if you're not together anymore in the same of room, of course, like I'm a cuddler. Like I like to hold, I want to hold hands. I want to be able to feel the person's energy next to me. Like the heat, the cold, like I love that. Cause it sounds like your issue was not this, like you guys had good sexual chemistry, obviously a good parent, like all these things. So it sounds like maybe it was just like, maybe you lost the, the stuff you're talking about, which is like the cuddling, the love. Oh like uh, yeah, stuff. that was gone. That was gone. So, so that, you know, that sucked. But, but at the same time, like it wasn't like we were hurting, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, you know, our kids go to private school. Like they have really good friends. The only, the only ones that really suffered from this are the children. Like in this moment, in this, this time period, the kids are getting crucified you know, by us, by, by the public, everyone has an opinion. And it's sad for me because I come from a family that, that my parents have been married forever. My brothers are very successful. I have two younger brothers. They're very successful. They're both married. And, uh, the Persian ways, it's not, you're, you're not, you, you get, when you get divorced, you looked down upon, this is my second go around. So I feel like what's wrong with me, you know, like what, what, what do I need to get help with? And I have, I've been going to therapy. I've been, I've been doing all the things that I think I need to do, hitting the gym really hard. I'm doing everything to be a good partner for someone else, but that's never going to happen until I'm hundred percent confident in myself and feel complete with myself, which I, I, I it's been 20 years. You know, I, I still don't know what it's like to be alone. You know, like I need to know what that, that feels like. And I have to go through it. I have to feel all these emotions and I have to feel this pain because I deserve it. 
to get to that place where I can be confident in myself. And I will tell you it's working. Like my anxiety level, I used to get like really bad anxiety over things that didn't matter. It's gone. You're also a big reader. You love Robert Greene. He's our favorite. Robert, when I read Robert's stuff, I think of myself and I think of, of the challenges I've been through. And I try to compare myself to other leaders and their situations, but he just, the way he writes, he's very direct and, and gets you confidence. And he gives you the, the historical context of other people that may have gone through the same types of feelings. You can like, and you can place it, right? You're yeah. like, oh, I can place what that person must have been thinking. Yeah, so he's, a, I mean, he's a beast. Yeah, he's 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 good stuff. You are welcome to come back on our podcast anytime. That was one of the longest interviews we've really? done. Yeah, and I mean, I have more questions, so you're welcome to come back if you'd like. Where can everyone find you and support you and check out what you're doing now? My Instagram is the only social I really use at this point. I think it's connected to my Facebook, but at Nick Ritchie, it's N I K. R-I-C-H-I-E. Uh, the website that I'm really pushing right now is celebmagazine.com, C-E-L-E-B magazine.com. But download the app. I'm, I'm going, I'm getting out of this, this rut of desktop. I think desktop's dead. I think dot-coms are dying. I think app is the way to go. That's the future. Right now, you know, only people that are making money on desk and mobile are programmatic arbitragers, right? So that's where we're at right now. So my whole thing is I want to get my app fully functional, fully going. So download the celeb app, but yeah, I'd love to come back. I, I feel like we didn't even talk about anything. I, well, I, we got to do a part two. Listen, we can, anytime you want open invite, but you know, from an outside perspective, talking about confidence, I mean, like, I think like to pay you a compliment from my, from my perspective, like you've gone through a lot of really, really heavy shit that most people won't go through both personally and professionally. I mean, even just the stuff about the dirty and like all that. And you seem like you're handling it better than most. Like the, uh, any one of these things you talked about could have broken a lot of people. So I think you should like, you should feel good about it, man. Yeah. Well, listen, I've seen enough darkness to understand how to be in the dark. And that's where I'm at right now. Like I'm navigating eyes closed in the dark with a glimpse glimmer of light and i'm just trying to get there like i can see, i can see a glimmer of it i'm just trying to get there and i know i will because i've done it before how about this how about we do a part two of this in three months to see where you're at i bet you'll you will have some inspiration for anyone who's going through something where they where they feel down either we'll come to you or you can come back here and we'll do a part two i'm in 100 percent Okay, because I'd be interested to see where you are in three months. I think it'll be a totally different space. As long as I'm not dating anyone crazy in three months, I'll definitely. If well, you're dating, that, they're invited on too. That's they're on invited you, right? on too. <laughs> what? So that's kind of on you, right? I just gotta. You can't be. I don't know if they could force you to date a crazy. <laughs> <laughs> These women are aggressive. Let me tell you. Listen, it's, I wouldn't. Michael know, I mean, will never find out. I wouldn't know at this point. I'm like Michael, uh, like the best looking. How do you get your hair like that? Oh Jesus. God, don't even ask that. Red can paste. We, we, yeah, red can paste. We could we could do. Another. Oh, by the way, I'm here for the the skinny confidential roller. I'm not really here for the podcast. Yeah. But thanks for talking. To he me. came for the roller. <laughs> hey, listen, that was a lot of work for a fucking roller. It was. It was. <laughs> Come back on three months at Nick Ritchie. You guys check him out. Drop into his DMs if you're single. Thank you for coming on. Wait, before you go, we are doing a fun giveaway. We are giving away a copy of Get the Fuck Out of the Sun in support of my new podcast that just launched with Dear Media, Get the Fuck Out of the Sun. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave your favorite part of this episode with Nick on my latest Instagram at Lauren Bostick. 
See you next time.